Well, we are on week number three of our current series. We've been calling it In It to Win It, where we've been talking about winning because we've said winning is better than not winning. I've been on both sides of the coin, both the winning side and the losing side, and I can tell you with 100% certainty that winning is better than not winning, especially in the areas of life that matter most like the areas of love and dating and marriage and parenting and finances and your career and your physical, mental, emotional health, your spiritual health. In any area that matters to you, any area that's important to you, you already know this, winning is better than not winning. No one woke up this morning and said, you know, I really hope I don't win today. I hope I just, it's a downward slide until I go to bed. Right? We're all driven to win. Now, Scripture addresses our topic. This has been the verse that has pushed us forward. The Apostle Paul says it like this. Don't you realize that in a race, everyone runs, but only one person gets the prize? And then he says this. So run to win. He says, look, you're going to need to approach life with some urgency. You're going to need to bring some intensity and some passion and some focus and some devotion You're going to need to structure your life, surround yourself with the right people. You're going to need to begin to run to win. He continues, verse 25, everyone who competes in the games, and remember we told you he was building this metaphor. We talked about this last week on the the, the games that took place around Corinth. It was a, a source of pride for them. He said, everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training. The English Standard Version says, every athlete exercises self-control in all things. In other words, if you're going to be in it to win it, right? You know you're in it, so you may as well be in it to win it. For that to happen, what Paul is telling us is that it will cost us something. Because anything in life that matters, it will always come with a price. And it will require you to say no to some things in order to say yes to the most important things. And so Paul says, run to win, because you don't wish your way there. You don't hope your way there. Paul says, everybody who's in the race runs, but only one receives the prize. And so if you're going to be in it, you might as well be in it to win it. And Paul says, run to win. The challenge that we said, while we're all driven to win, the challenge is that most of us never define what winning looks like. So we want to be in it to win it, but nobody defines the win. And so we talked about that last week where we asked the question, what's the win? And then we sat on this in our Wednesday night regroup, our dinner group, by the way, if you want to come to the last couple sessions, show up Wednesday, 6.30, right? What's the win? What is the win in your marriage? What is the win in, in, in your life? Like the win in your marriage, it has to be something more than, well, we just don't want to get a divorce. And in today's today's culture, there's a measure of winning to that. Like you can just say, we just grit our teeth and we, we we just toughed it out. But I think God has a better win for us than that. What's the win in your family? What's the win in your parenting? If you're single and dating, we ask, what's the win in your dating? What does winning look like? We said, hey, if if you don't want a marriage like the majority of marriages, then you can't date like the majority of daters. You're going to need to define the win, right? Structure your life then accordingly. 
What's the win in areas of parenting and family and friends and finances and spiritual development? Whatever life looks like you, for you today, regardless of the circumstance or the season of life that you find yourself in today, ask yourself this. What is the win in this current season that I'm in? Maybe you're going through a really difficult time. What is the win? What does it look like to come out the other side of this? Hey, what about the, the big picture, right? The, the full arc of life, deathbed stuff. What will life need to look like in order for you to, to leave this world knowing that you ran a good race, you fought a good fight? What does that need to look like for you? Define the win. Don't you realize that in a race, everyone runs, but one person gets the prize, so run to win. We said last week, hey, if you can't define the win, how do you know you're even running in the right race? All right, you may be pounding the pavement on a course that was never designed for you, and life will begin to feel like a race without a finish line or a game with no rules. If you lose sight of the win... Right? Maybe you defined it at one time and then you lose sight of it. Well, then you will be quickly distracted by the next shiny thing that presents itself to you. You will change courses. You will change races to a new race that appears greener on the other side. Most of you know uh, the transition that we are uh, going through uh, as a church and uh, what that entails. Uh, if you didn't get the email, uh, if you weren't at the meeting last week, then uh, reach out to me and we can, we can get that for you. Um, you know, my, my, my role, leadership role here will be changing over the course of next year. And um, what you don't know is during that time and I was processing this and praying on this and kind of just feeling like my, my um, ministry experience and whatever leadership abilities I can offer is going to be better served in a support role rather than the guy kind of at the tip of the spear. What you don't know is... Um, during that time, uh, my brother was offered uh, a job in another state, took the job in another state, uh, and he's in the automotive business. I was in the automotive business before I went into vocational ministry. I was a service writer for Mercedes-Benz. I was quite successful at it. And so my brother gets his job offer in the automotive world, and it's paying him redonkulous amounts of money. Like the type of money that you think, I don't even know how I can spend that kind of money. I mean, for the average person, anyways, right? It is, it is crazy over the top. And, and while I was, I was happy for my brother, I was also a little jealous. I was a lot jealous, just to be honest with you, <laughs> right? And um, I had lunch with him. And he said, if you want to get back in the field, I'll have an interview for you tomorrow. Like, getting you back in isn't, isn't going to be an issue. And I'll just be honest with you, it sent me into a two-week spin. And so I was already thinking, well, I mean, you know, I'm kind of already going to step out of the lead role into, into kind of a more support role, so, so maybe I just go back into the automotive world. Maybe it's time to kind of change careers and had several conversations with Sheila, and I had several, numerous conversations in my mind that went something like this. Better money will help me get this last mooch child through college, right? I thought that. <laughs> and then the big push was not a lot in retirement. I'm not a young man anymore, right? 54, let's say I got 12 years left to go. Certainly not enough to retire on. And I started thinking, man, that could really set us up for retirement. I'm talking to Sheila, like, you know, maybe this is an opportunity for us. And driving to church one morning to work, 
and I'm listening to a podcast, and the guy says, we all need to define the win for our lives. And it was like suddenly there was clarity again. Because 30 years ago, I stepped out of the automotive world because I sincerely believed that there was nothing better to give my life to than the gospel of Jesus Christ and moving that message forward. And I stepped out of a world where at 25, I was making 60 grand. That's a long time ago. And stepped into ministry where I was making 27 grand. And I made that switch because defining the win, it was never about money. And so here I was at 54 thinking, well, maybe, maybe, maybe I can go back into it. And I heard that define the win, and I thought, the win for my life has never been money. It's always been bigger than that. It's always about stepping in to, to, to this thing called the church and trying to lead people to Jesus and trying to make the church a place that is attractive to, to bring people to. And it was at that moment where I had a, a re-clarification of the win. I tell you that because if you lose sight of what your win is, the next shiny thing that presents itself may be what calls you off course, may be what pulls you off course, and you may be halfway down that race and realize, I should have never changed races. So how do you define the win, and how do you keep the win at the forefront of your mind? What, what, is, what does that look like for you? Listen, I don't know of many people who like to run just for the sake of running. Now, maybe you're here, right? So Paul says, run to win, and we're like, oh, running. Like, there comes a point in life, some of you young people, you don't realize this, there will come a point in life where just running is painful. <laughs> just getting out of bed will be painful. Let's just be honest, all right? Getting off the toilet, will be, that pain is everywhere, okay? <laughs> I don't know of many people who like to run just for the pure enjoyment of running. Like, they get this runner's high, which I never had it, right? I've ran, <laughs> shut up. I've had two, <laughs> I've... I've ran two half marathons, one alone, one with my wife, younger, mid-30s, hated training every step of the way, right? Now, when I was younger, you put a ball in front of me, a soccer ball, basketball, football, hey, I won't go all day because just running for the sake of running, I always thought, now how do I put it? Uh, yeah, it was stupid. That's what I thought it was. <laughs> and that's why they say that running, especially long-term, it's more of a head game than it is even a, a, about the body, right? It's what you're letting in your mind. What do you, you have to define the win, and you have to keep the win in the forefront of your mind. See, I think there's only two motivators that will cause us to keep running and to cause us to keep moving forward. The first is what you're running for. We talked about that last week. And the second is what you're running from. These are the only two motivators that I know that will keep you running. You ever been chased by an angry goose, anyone? I have been. Some of you are like, you know, and some of you are like, a goose, they're so cute. They're not cute. They're demons. All right? It's either what you're running for or what you're running from. I was 10 years old. I went to my first baseball game. Our little league team went. Um, I think they were called the Phoenix Giants before they were called the Firebirds. We're going way back. And um, I was 10 years old. Now picture a cute 10-year-old Marty, a little on the plump side, okay? Let's just say that. I get up and I go to the bathroom, and I'm coming back, and three teenagers corner me and say, give me all your money. Like, empty your pockets. 
and I'm thinking, this can't be good, right? And so, so I'm, I'm trying to talk them out of it, and it's kind of becoming more intense, and, 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 and just picture plump little Marty <laughs> thinking, maybe I should run, but plump little Marty thought, probably not a good idea. See, I, I was kind of a, a big kid, which I was reminded of every time that we went school shopping. Because, see, nowadays, jeans come in skinny, they come in regular fit, they come in straight, and they come in loose, right? Loose is a non-judgmental term. More room through the seat and thighs. That's a good thing. They're loose. When I was a kid, they were called husky. Yeah, yeah. You know, right? Meaning there should have just been a sign in Walmart that said, clothing for fat kids. That's what it should have said. And so mom's dragging me through the store because we've got to go to the husky section, right? One style, one color, because apparently they thought, you're fat, what do you care about style? <laughs> and so I was the husky kid. And so there I am with my husky pants, cornered three teenagers, and at one point one of them got distracted and I thought, that's it. And I took off running and my feet were flying. Remember, what you're running for or what you're running from is a motivator. And it was like at that moment, all the weight in my stomach was throwing me forward into this supersonic-like speed. And, and I was hopped up on Skittles and Mountain Dew. And I'm going, people are just blur as they're going by me. And I'm just, I'm asthmatic as well, especially back then. And I thought, my lungs were clear and clean, and I was picking them up and putting them down, and I thought, this is the best moment of my life. I was the original. Run, Forrest. Run, Mark. Run, fat kid. Run. That's what I was. <laughs> Two motivators will keep you moving. What you're running for and what you're running from. And I knew what I was running from. And you probably want to know how the story ends. I made it 15 yards before they caught me and beat me up. Because I was husky. What do you think is going to happen? Listen, listen. What you're running for is a healthy motivator. What you're running from is exhausting. Let me just, let me, let me kind of bring you back to one of the great classics of cinema. And some of you will be like, I, I don't know what you're talking about. Some of you will. I wish I should have brought three little bottles and clink, 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 clink. Yes, I want to let you know. Warriors, come out to play. Remember, and, and they're, they're taking off and they're being chased by a gang. I think it was the, the guys who were in, a, in all baseball uniforms because apparently gangs, that's what they did back then. Like some of them like, hey, let's dress in baseball uniforms. That's a, good, that's a good look for us. And they're running and they're exhausted. And one of them says, I can't make it anymore. He's like, you sure? He's like, yeah, I can't make it anymore. And he says, good, because I'm tired of running from these wimps. Listen, what you're running from is exhausting and will only get you so Far. So let me just ask you this question. What are you running from this morning? What is it in your past that doesn't like to stay in the past? What is it that keeps you moving just enough to try to keep you ahead of whatever is trying to catch up and remind you of when? What does that look like for you? 
let's talk about this. Let's come up with some common assumptions, put us all on the same page. Let's start with this. Everyone has a past. If you're drawing breath, you have a past. Some things you're proud of, some things you're not proud of. Even after you draw your last breath, you will still have a, a, a past because those who are alive and part of your family will now be living through your past, whatever that looks like, because we do not live life in a vacuum. That my life affects other people besides just me. Here's another assumption we can draw upon. There are portions of my past that are painful. Because we live in a fallen world, there are portions of my past that will be painful, and there's no escaping it. There are some seasons that are difficult. And some of those seasons are on me. I caused them. Anyone have a what was I thinking story? Back maybe when you were a little younger, like, I don't know what I was thinking. And now you kind of suffer the, the, the results of that. It's almost like you sabotaged your own well-being with a stupid decision or a careless mistake or a momentary lapse in judgment or a moment of weakness. And you did it. You said it. You bought it. You drank it. You dated it. You slept with it. You married it. Now you're like, oh, man. What does that, what does that mean? See, it's, what, I, what I mean is that my mistakes, well, let's not sugarcoat it. Let's call it what it is. My sin, right, when I'm drawn to my own selfishness, my sin has consequences. And that, that I, I suffer often the consequences of that sin. There are painful portions of my race, my story, that primarily rest on me. But there are also mile markers along the course that I had no part in. It wasn't something I did. It was something that was done to me. You have stories like that as well. It's not because of something you did. It was because of what someone did to you. We'll touch on that more in just a little bit. The third assumption that uh, let's agree on, that not all of my past stays in the past. The past has this crazy thing about wanting to step into the future. So let's agree on this, that in a fallen world, everyone has a past, right? Everyone has a past that, that, that is painful, and sometimes the past refuses to stay in the past. And this is not a religious statement, right? Even if, if you're not religious, uh, atheist, agnostic, humanist, scientist, we can all agree that there's something not quite right here. Like this world is full of mistakes and mishaps and disasters and evil that we cannot predict and evil that we cannot explain. And Scripture happens to support this idea that we live in a fallen world and that things are not the way that they were originally created. And this leaves humanity with a struggle. That looks something like this. We live in a fallen world which means that I am a sinner and therefore I sin and that sin gets passed on to me, meaning the effects of that sin get passed on to me. I own it, I did it, I suffer the consequences. But at other times, and this is where the tension comes in, other times it's not your sin, it's the sin and the dysfunction of someone else that was placed upon you. And now you live with the effects of their sin. And you live with the effects of, of their dysfunction. And it was passed on to you, not necessarily the action, not necessarily the sin, although that's possible. 
but, but the effects of it, because lives are not lived in a vacuum. It would be one thing if I could do as I please, and the only person it would affect is me. That's not how life works. Once you have a family, once you have children especially, my dysfunctions affect more than just myself. When I win, the people closest to me win, and when I lose, the people closest to me feel the effects of my loss. When someone's brokenness lands on you, that's not your fault. When someone's dysfunction comes to your house, that's not your fault. If you were raised in an abusive home, that's not on you. If a relationship was verbally abusive or physically abusive or emotionally abusive, that's not your fault. Right? The result of their sin, their dysfunction was dumped on you. Living with a parent who maybe was an alcoholic and uh, all of that dumped on you, that's not your fault. A parent who maybe was a perfectionist and, and that now nothing is ever good enough attitude has been placed upon you and it doesn't seem like you can ever do enough, their dysfunction has fallen upon you. And so in a fallen world, there is sin, there is dysfunction, and it's passed on to us, but this is where it gets worse. Sometimes, sometimes, we find ourselves engaging in the very activity that we hate. The very thing that we swore we would never do is what we find ourselves repeating. It doesn't have to happen. Some, some of us have been able to break the cycle, but we also know for everyone that broke the cycle, there's someone else who's reliving the cycle. We know that children raised in a, an alcoholic home are, are much more likely to become an alcoholic. So the, the sin dysfunction passed on. Children from a divorced home, more likely to divorce. If you ever made yourself a promise saying that I will never be like blank, and yet there are times in your life where you're just, just like them, and it drives you crazy. We're, we're, we're picked off from our past. Don't, don't, don't misunderstand me. I'm not saying it has to be like that. You may beat the odds, but for many or most, we do not get out unscathed. There is something in our past that has wounded and damaged us. And my point is being that unless the past is dealt with, the past has a way of breaking into the future and sabotaging what is next. Three assumptions. We all have a past. There are portions of my past that are painful. And not all the past stays in the past. And the Bible speaks into our topic. With remarkable accuracy. In Exodus 34, it says, Then the Lord passed in front of him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord God, is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in loving kindness and truth, who keeps loving kindness for thousands, who forgives iniquity, transgression, and sins. Here it comes. Yet he by no means leaves the guilty unpunished, visiting the iniquity of fathers on children. And Scripture speaks to this present reality. That my sin affects more than just me. You can think of it that there's often a deposit that is made into the children and they live with the dysfunction, they live with the sin, and now they have to deal with the effects long after the person that dumped on you is gone. Now, if this makes you angry, I get it. Right? If, if this makes you angry, it's just highlighting what we already know. A natural part of the fallen world is, is sin, and our actions are, are never quite contained. And the chain of dysfunction does not break naturally or easily or voluntarily with you. 
And I understand that for some of you, this passage makes you angry because you think, why would God allow something like that? But let's not forget the first part of the passage that describes the character of God. It says, then the Lord passed in front of him and proclaimed, the Lord, the Lord God, who is he? He's compassionate and he's gracious and he's slow to anger and he's abounding in loving kindness and truth, who keeps loving kindness for thousands, who forgives iniquity, transgression, and sin. In other words, this is God's preferred future. He always steps with love, always steps first for forgiveness, but if when we choose to distance ourselves, then we live with the consequences of that. And we all have fallen victim to it. So let me ask you again, what, what, what are you running from? And what are you going to do about it? Let me give you three thoughts. First, I think we need to process the past and forge a preferred future. Take the first part, process the past. Let's listen to what Paul said. Paul grew up in a legalistic environment. Paul was also the guy that was a, a religious terrorist. He was persecuting the church. He had Christians put to death, pulled them out of their home, arrested, all those kinds of things. He had this amazing experience where he uh, became a Christ follower. And now he brings all that passion, all that heart. Now he's doing it for the kingdom, right? Uh, and so he had this past that he was not proud of persecuting the church. And then notice what he says about moving past his past into a preferred future. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it. Now, the first thing he says is that there's something waiting for me in the future, but I'm not there yet. I'm still moving towards it, right? There's a destination ahead, but I'm not there. Now, I want you to just notice his transparency. He's saying, I'm not where I need to be. And this is the guy that wrote almost a third of the New Testament. Right? There are some things still hanging around, memories that trigger. Right? I've not made it to the point where I look at myself and say, I'm good. I'm a work in progress. God is still sanding down the rough edges to the church in Rome. He said, I don't even understand what I do. For what I want to do, I, I do not do, but I do the very thing I hate to do. In other words, I've yet to capture it. I'm still in the process. Look what he says. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind. Now, listen, let me tell you what this doesn't mean. And the church has done a really poor job at this. For the longest time, the church told you to deal with your past like this. Just pray more. Just read your Bible more. Right? This, once you come to Jesus... All of your problems should be solved. You want to go back to the church of the 70s and the church of the 80s and, and kind of through the mid-90s. That was the idea. Just pray more. People in this church with mental health things and the pastors said, just pray more. Just read the Bible more. It's almost like we forgot that we are complex beings. And when we come to Jesus, yes, he instantly cleanses our spirit. But we are complex beings and we have to deal with some of those things that have been hanging around. Yes, pray. Yes, read your scripture. 100% yes. But I need you to know, it may not solve everything. Because the issues, the issues, the issues may be hidden and may need to be pulled out until you can begin to find a place of health. And so I know some of you, you're caught on the cycle. You're like, man, I, 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 I know I'm running for something. And you're like, I'm just, I'm going to buckle down and I'm going to grow spiritually and that's going to solve it. And you do really good for about two weeks. 
And then you become frustrated and you quit. And you quit until it builds up enough and then you say, mm, I'm going to really try this time. There may be other issues at hand. It's not an excuse to ignore your past. It's not an excuse to just try to say, I'm, I'm going to forget about the past. Right? Paul said, listen, upon processing it, dealing with it, forgiving himself for it, learning from it, he then begins to put distance between himself and his past. But the idea is not to ignore it, but to loosen its hold on us. Hey, recognize it. Face into it. Deal with it. Forgive it. The idea is that we're going to loose those things which are, have a stranglehold on us. So listen, if you don't get anything else out of today, listen. Before you can forge your preferred future, you're going to need to process some of the past that keeps making its way into your present and is sabotaging your future. Can I respectfully ask some of you, how, how long do you plan on dragging around the angst from your past into your future? How long will the person who hurt you in the past influence your future? Hey, here's what it comes down to. Stop allowing the person who hurt you to smuggle their issues into your future. Go to that next slide, will you, Amanda? Stop allowing the person who hurt you to smuggle their issues into your future. Here's what I want you to think of, and then we'll get ready to close this out. Uh, this jar, let's just say it kind of represents your soul full of water. Uh, I was hoping that the sediment would have went to the bottom, and this would be a little more clear. But let's just say this is you know, the, 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 the average person. And it's a little murky because that's the way our souls are, right? I mean, we're not, we're not totally where we're supposed to be. Paul even said that. And, and, and as long as life is smooth for you, the sediment, your past, can just kind of begin to settle. And just kind of, kind of do its thing, and, and people will meet you in a normal situation. They're like, hey, he's a healthy individual, all is well. But then something happens as soon as, as, soon as your jar is bumped, Oh, okay, okay, wait, something happens. As soon as someone comes along and they know how to push your buttons and they know how to stir up, what happens? That sediment that has been resting, all those things from your past, they begin to be stirred and they begin to, begin, they begin to be busted free. And it's, it's, it's someone who pushes you the wrong way when you don't get what you want, when you're challenged, when, 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 when the wife doesn't respond the way you want to and the boyfriend doesn't respond the way that you want to. And when things aren't going well, suddenly the sediment gets stirred up and our response is, well, it's their fault. But the truth is, it's always been in you. You've just had a string of good weeks, months where it's settled to the bottom and it was just waiting for the next person to come and stir you up. And you're going to blame them. You're going to blame the next marriage. You're going to blame the next relationship. You're going to blame the next job. You're going to move on to the next church. Because you're sure that the problem was me. Or the problem was your boss. Or the problem was your boyfriend or girlfriend. But the reality of it is they just exposed what was already in you. And so we're going to have to learn to deal with some of what is in our past. Listen, we're going to have to get our hands dirty. Listen to Proverbs 20. The purpose of a person's heart are deep waters, but the one who has insight draws them 
out. Listen, listen, you're, you, you're, you're being, you are deep waters, but there are some people who have insight and they can draw those things out of you. Can I just say something honestly? Don't, don't get upset and you're like, I suppose, thought I was supposed to be a Christian. Can I just say that I think everybody needs counseling? And if that offends you, it's probably because you need counseling. <laughs> hey man, we're living a fallen world and we're all a little warped. And that's part of the tension because we know in Christ we're declared righteous and yet over here I got all this stuff hanging around. And just praying more and reading the Bible it's taking care of some of it but there's other things it's like ah, I'm going to have to really have someone pull some of this out of me. And it may get ugly. And that ugliness is what keeps us from it. My wife and I, we talk about this. Sheila says, she would tell you, this is no secret. She's like, some, I've been in counseling, and she said, sometimes I think I need to go uh, see a counselor. And I so badly want to say, you think? <laughs> and that's not a knock on her. We all need it, right? And, and, but then she says, I don't know if I want to deal with what's going to come up. And so we just repeat the pattern, and I'll keep running because the motivator is what I'm running from to keep it far enough behind me. Listen, someone needs to draw them out. And then once we're beginning to process that, what can we do? Well, this is what Paul says, we can forge a preferred future. He says, I do not consider myself as having yet taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining towards what is ahead, I press forward to the goal, here it is, to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward. I recognize I have a past, I'm going to deal with it, I'm going to process it, and then I can finally begin to give some distance between myself and my past, and then I will begin to step into my preferred future that God's been trying to pull me in all this time. And I will begin to look forward and press on to the goal and strain for what is ahead and win the prize. Hey, if you want to be in it to win it, I'm just telling you, sometimes you're going to need to get help. Because what's keeping you moving and what's keeping you exhausted is you're running from, not running for. Don't you realize that in a race everyone runs, but one person gets the prize. So run to win. Lord, a difficult message today. And we just scratched the surface. And the point of today was just trying to get us to think through our, our mental, our emotional, our spiritual health and begin to address it. And that we would address it on all fronts, spiritually, absolutely. Get involved in a group, surround ourselves with the right people, people that will hold us accountable, people that will pray for us, people that will love on us the reading of Scripture, memorizing Scripture to, to transform our mind. But I think many of us also need to wade into this other area where a professional can pull out some of those things that need to be talked about and need to be dealt with so we can finally begin to move past the past and keep it where it belongs because that sediment keeps getting stirred up and I can blame someone else, but it's in me. It's in me. 
Lord, I pray that what we would walk away with today is that we would be encouraged because you are calling us forward, church. God has a 2.0 version of you that he's calling you toward. And to get there, we're going to need to go into some strict training. So today, Lord, release us this week, release us. Let some of us make the bold decision to get some help, get some accountability, surround us with some people that would be good for our soul, maybe see a professional. But Holy Spirit, I pray that we would do it all through the power and the guidance of you as you continue to transform and to remake and to exchange the old for new. In Jesus' name, amen. Reveal, God bless you guys. Hey, I will look for you um, next week. Invite someone to the series. Touching on, I, I hope, some good stuff. I look forward to seeing you guys. Grab a box for the Thanksgiving outreach, and I will see you next week.